0: for Junior Worship, you can go down there. And then I'm going to invite Ryan McCullough to come up. Hopefully you saw Rob's email earlier this week, but Ryan's been a member of our church now for about a year, I think, give or take. And the Lord's done an incredible work in his life. We're excited to have him pick back up in Mark, where we've been, and preach. So Ryan, brother, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, So as I was preparing this... Uh, One of the things that I felt God kind of showing and saying over and over and over was stick to the script. And then something like that just happened. Where we get to see David present again, just very slowly. I don't know if you subtly, humbly say, we have our child back here. She's not here this morning. I'm recovering, and I just, as I'm standing over here waiting to come up, dealing with my glasses fogging up because I'm sweating, I just sensed God kind of say that this is an opportunity for us to recognize that as a church, we get the opportunity to be a part of the blessing of what they as a family are doing. And I know we know that, but our family's been blessed to be around other families, help as they have adopted. And oftentimes we think it's the parents and the adopted child that kind of gets the most attention. And what kind of goes unseen is that everyone in the family is part of this Blessing, this opportunity to be a blessing. And I say that to you this morning because probably many of you are the Sunday school teachers or the leaders in other areas to their whole family. And entering into and praying for and ministering to their children as a whole in this situation is huge. It really is. So, um, I don't know. It's off script. I don't know if it's worth anything, but there it is. Uh, so, before we get there and go any further, uh, let me introduce myself and what we're talking about this morning, okay? Um, you'll see some slides that have come up that will be put up, and if you go ahead and put slide number one up, hopefully this will give you some idea, a little bit of who I am. Um, yeah, those are, those are his slides. Those aren't my slides. I guess I could re-preach his sermon. Not near, oh, look, that's my family. There you go. Okay, um, so my name is Ryan McCullough. Uh, we have been here as members of this church about a year. Uh, the reason I'm preaching this morning, I don't know if you guys know this, is when you get your welcome packet, um, some lucky new member, gets a golden ticket and gets to preach. And ours happened to have the golden ticket in it, so that's why I'm preaching this morning. I say that's not true. Uh, if you know Rob at all, your pastor, uh, you know that he has this ability to see people and have a belief for how they can fit within this body of Christ And serve. Be a blessing, okay? Uh, Steve and I were joking beforehand uh, that this is gonna happen regardless if you talk with him. If you were to, you know, show up new here and he were to ask, so who are you and what do you do? And you go, man, I really love butterflies. He would go, we've been thinking about starting this butterfly ministry about the gospel and we think that, ah, you'd be perfect for that. Would you come to this meeting with me and the elders, and you know, it's like, it's that sort of thing. That's what Rob is, it's what he does. It's amazing. Uh, so I have been uh, blessed by that. Our family has been blessed by that. So that's part of why I'm here. Not only that, there is some history to this. Um, my wife and I are native Oklahomans. We met uh, in college, got married, family came along shortly after that. Um, And we have, as a family, been part of ministry for a long time, about 25 years. I've been youth pastor, college pastor, associate pastor, church planner, pastor, back to associate pastor, um, camp pastor, then I was a teacher at a Christian school for a while, then a teacher in a public school for a while, and now I work naturally at the state capitol of Oklahoma. I don't know how that happened, honestly, but I say I do. I showed up to church here, and about two weeks later, I got a job at the State Capitol of Oklahoma, so something to look forward to as well if you're a new member. Um, (laughs) We don't pass those out. We don't make any promises for that either, I'm just saying. Um, So here's kind of the thing. Um, I'm not currently in full-time ministry, and there's a reason for that. (laughs) I think the reason for that is because I just about allowed ministry to take away my faith in Jesus. I'll say that real slow again. I just about allowed ministry to take away my faith in Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. 25-something years, doing ministry, trying things, trying to do what we felt God was calling us to do, and you... You just keep hitting resistance. Obviously, it's a broken world. And I slowly began to forget, or not trust, more like it, that God really was going to do the things that he promised to do. And so I would try to do it in my own strength over and over again. And when you attempt to do what only Spirit of God can do, it leads to burnout and despair, in my case, depression. And even though I would never say it out loud, um, I was practically living as if I was the hero of this story that was being told and not Jesus. And so, for six years, I've not been in ministry, per se. And and we could have that conversation about, you know, hey, teachers and ministers, and I believe that, and I've seen that, and that's Amazing stuff, it really is. Uh, But for myself, it really has been an opportunity to breathe and worship. And Northwest has been a part of allowing me and our family to do that. So if nothing else, if I get this opportunity to put this microphone on, and by the way, I feel bad for Rob when he comes back next week because this thing's gonna be so stretched out, it will fall off of him. I have a giant head, and he does not. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to all that um, have been a part of helping us grow and heal and recover and um, really allow me to, to worship again. Okay? So thank you for that. All right. The scripture of the sermon that we're going to be looking at uh, comes from Mark. Okay? Okay? And it's Mark 1, 14 and 15 is where we're going to be at. It'll be on the screen. You'll see it there. We're going to stand up here in a second because that's what we do. That's what I was told. Um, And so when we do that, you're going to notice, hey, didn't we hear this a couple of months ago? Yes, we did. And Cody preached on this. And so I'm here because it wasn't good enough. That's not true at all. That's also not true. Um, I'm not here because it wasn't good enough. I'm here because a couple of months back, um, God was kind of doing this thing, that it was taking me through Mark, and I don't know, I think I was driving my kids nuts and, and my wife nuts. About once a week, I tried to look at the scripture that, that God had for me and then just send this group text to my kids and and my son-in-law who you saw up there and, and just say, hey, here's what God showed me. And it just happened to be in Mark. And it just happened to be this passage that God really just began doing some interesting stuff in. And then we start preaching through Mark and Cody just happened to have that. And he had a whole other take on it that wasn't what God showed me. And so when Rob asked me to do this, I was like, I don't want to make it look like it it wasn't good enough. And really, what God showed me was that's what Scripture is. Scripture is is that much that you can over and over come back to it and see these amazing things. So that's what we're going to try to do this morning. So let's see what happens. So if you all would stand with me as we read this scripture, there's only two, you won't be standing up long, so I'm already ahead in that regard. Here we go. Mark 1:14 through15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray real quick, Father. Uh, this is your morning. Uh, this is your day. These are your words, Uh, we are your people, and we want to make much of you uh, in everything that is done this morning. So whether we stand, whether we sit, whether we sing, whether we talk, whatever it is, may your spirit lead us so that this is a supernatural thing that happens this morning. That this is extraordinary we trust that your spirit will lead in your great name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Jesus is coming off of some things in Mark. And I don't know about you guys, but one of the things that happens with me is when I binge watch things. So I like to binge watch things a lot now, especially with streaming. And I don't always get to finish something that I start. I'll come back to a couple of months and go, oh, yeah, I never finished that thing. And it's always great because when you start the new episode, it's like they know this is the case. So they've always got that previously on part where it kind of catches you up on everything throughout the season. I don't know. I'm probably the only one in here like that. And and it shows you everything up until that point. You go, oh, yeah, I remember that part. I remember that thing. Well, that's what we're going to do now, kind of for Mark, okay? And everything that happened in the first 13 verses before we get to verse 14. Mark begins with John the Baptist proclaiming Jesus' coming ministry. So this, this dude, John the Baptist, shows up. He's the cousin of Jesus, and he is proclaiming, that the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, is coming. Then we see Jesus show up at his baptism. And again, I love the way that that Rob described this, that for Mark, as he's writing, which again, really is is the Apostle Peter's perspective of the story of Jesus. um, Everything, there's not a whole lot of detail with some of these things. Some stories there are, some there aren't. And like the... The baptism of Jesus, like, yeah, he was baptized, and it's all good, and, you know, it was pretty much it. The very Twitter version was the way that Rob said it, which I I think is true. And so at his baptism after that, it says, oh, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted. No details, really. Oh, yeah, there's some angels there that took care of him. No details. Just to show there's some really crazy things happening, but we're going to get to some other parts that are... More important, maybe, for Mark. But that temptation happens by Satan. And then we see Jesus being ministered to by the angels. And then coming off of that is where we see here in Mark 14. And it begins by him mentioning that John had been arrested. He established John started talking about John, and now says that John has been arrested. What's the importance of this? Well, obviously there was a personal relationship that Jesus had with John, but it seems that there is something that happens when John is arrested that kicks this public ministry, at least from this perspective of this gospel, into happening. And we see Jesus... Because this happens, show up at Galilee, and he begins by saying and giving his first sermon. Okay? His very first sermon. It's kind of like his rookie card. Jesus' rookie card is what we're looking at here. Very, very valuable. Big deal, okay? So what does he say? He arrives in Galilee. Mark says that he proclaims the gospel of God. He proclaims the good news of God. And he does that by saying this. He says four things. The time was fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Four things. The time is fulfilled. I don't know if we have those slides that we could be putting up, please. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Believe in the gospel. So these are the four things that he says in this sermon. Now, again, is this a Mark, you know, Twitter version? Probably. But these are the four bullet points of what he's saying. And these four things are broken up into two categories, okay? The first two, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, are descriptive things. Things that he is describing that has happened in the past or is currently happening at the moment. And then prescriptive things. Repent, believe in the gospel. Which are to say, because of the first two things that we see here, here are the pieces that you're now to take, to respond, to do. I'm prescribing you to do these two things. What I want to do this morning kind of break these four things down. I want to look at them. I want to see Northwest Baptist here on July 9th, 2023. Man, 2023, that's crazy. Um, What does this mean? What does Jesus preaching this sermon to us mean today? Now I'm going to give us an opportunity to repent and believe in the gospel at the end of this, this morning. Okay, so let's begin with, The kingdom of God, uh, sorry, let's begin, let's go back to the beginning. The time is fulfilled. Every weekday morning at 6 o'clock a.m., my alarm goes off, okay? Because uh, I'm a normal human being, I reach over and I turn it off immediately. I do not hit snooze. Only pathological, psychotic, anarchist, hit snooze. Are there any snoozers here this morning? This will be part of the response that Jesus needs to heal this morning. I, so one of the fun things is, on there's some days that I get to sleep in or whatever and and my wife has to get up early. She's a snoozer. She will snooze that alarm three, four times. And I'll ask her, why do you do that? Well, I said it early because I have this way I wake up. Well, when it goes off. I'm awake. She keeps hitting snooze, goes back every time. But I'm sitting there wide awake. You can't go back to sleep. So when that goes off, I'm awake. I've told her about that. We're going through marital counseling. It's all good. Love you, sweetie. When this alarm goes off, it lets me know the night is done. The sleep time is over. It's time to get up. I got a whole process in the morning. I mean, it's efficient. I know I've got about 45 minutes to get everything done. That includes breakfast. That's how efficient I am. And I get out the door to get to my job. Okay? As soon as that goes off, it gets me marching toward what I need to accomplish that morning to get to my job. That alarm lets me know that thing is over, something new is happening, time of sleep done, get up, get moving, it's a new day, it's a new day, yes it is. So when Jesus arrives and begins his public ministry, the first thing he says, and the first thing he does is he sounds this alarm, and he goes, hey guys, it was this thing happening, and there's something new about to happen. Doesn't tell yet, but it goes. The time is fulfilled. A new day is has arrived. Now, uh, I was a church planter in New England <clears throat> for about ten years, and if you know anything about New England, it's it's not a, a church area. It's a very non-church area. We love a lot of aspects of that, um, and there were. So many things that I had to explain. Church words that we use and throw around all the time that just sound, you know, we understand what they are immediately. We got it. And working with our friends and, and family in New England, I would have to explain, you know, what's it mean? What do you you keep saying saved over and over again? What does that mean? I was like, you don't know what that means to be saved. Okay, so I'd have to think about, what does this mean? And I'd have to explain it. Well, this morning, I'm going to try to kind of hone my own skills here and not use as many church words and explain maybe to some of you that this is your first time here. You you don't know anything about this Christianity thing. This may be a brand new thing going on. So I'm going to try to give you in in terms that hopefully you can understand and relate to. At the same time, understand, many of you grew up here, have been here. This is is your thing. So, to put this in Christian understanding, okay, Jesus is saying it's time for the new wine to be put into the new wineskins. You understand that biblical reference. Uh, One covenant is being fulfilled, new it's being started. The time has come to make old things new, all right? Now, maybe you're here and you don't have that Christian history, you don't quite understand this, let me put this in some terms maybe you understand. This is like Bruce Buffer showing up at the UFC event, coming out taking the microphone and going, "It's time before the two UFC fighters come out and fight." okay? It is like uh, Nicole Kidman coming out at the AMC movie theaters, okay? And right before your movie, she comes out and she tells you that somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this. And when you see that, you're like, oh, the movie's about to start now. Yeah, we're getting really close. Or it, it, it's like on your iPhone when the notification comes up and it says, hey, there's a new episode of Ted Lasso you can watch. Okay? You, get, you know, hey, it wasn't there. Now it's there. Something new is happening. Really good stuff. And Jesus is saying it's time for something new to happen. The time is fulfilled. What's this new thing that's happening? It's the second descriptive part. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. So in 1987, a long time ago, I was in the seventh grade. Uh, I lived over in eastern Oklahoma. I played sports growing up. Basketball was kind of the, the sport that, uh, we had my, my little school actually didn't have a football team, so we played basketball. And in 1987, everything changed. Now, this may have changed uh, longer or, or at a different time for schools around here. But over in eastern Oklahoma, it took a long time for things to happen. They just got indoor plumbing like last week. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Um, it, wonderful thing. Um, but in 1987, the whole basketball thing changes because they introduced the three-point line. Like, I can remember coming out to basketball practice the first time, and literally they had just painted that three-point line that went around up the top of the key all the way around to the side, pretty amazing. And it changed the whole game. We, we played the first game that had that in it, our little seventh-grade team. Buddy mine, Stephen Coffey, made the three, first three-pointer in, in the history of my little school. But we didn't know how much it would change everything. I'll tell you how much it changed everything. A couple of years ago, uh, I was uh, asked to coach um, our high school boys basketball team in a a Christian school in Florida. And so I started coaching. And I was really excited because they had a, a football team as well. And a lot of the football players were to come out to play basketball as well. Big, tall kids, stocky kids. I'm like, we are going to dominate inside We are going to rebound everything, which was kind of my thing when I was playing. I mean, look at me. I don't have any other skills, really. I just hit people, foul people, and rebound. That was my thing. And so as a coach, I'm like, that's what I'm bringing. And so I show up, and I walk in, and they're all, you know, lined up here, 6'4", which for high school basketball is pretty good, 6'4", 6'3", 6'2", again, stocky kids. I'm like, we are going to dominate. And then I bring the balls out, and I roll them out, and every one of those 6'4", 6'2", 6'3", kids grabs the ball, and like gets two feet behind the three-point line, and just starts chucking it at the basket, yelling, Steph Curry! And they're throwing the ball up, trying to hit three-pointers. And I'm like, guys, get closer to the basket. They're like, why? Why? I can get three points for shooting out here. I'm like, but yeah, you hadn't made one in four days, so quit shooting three-pointers. Okay. It didn't change anything. They still kept shooting three pointers. It never did get through to him. That's so why I'm not coaching now. Probably, um, Jesus is saying here that He's introducing something that is going to be way different than just introducing a three-point line. Obviously, He's proclaiming that the greatest shift in human history is happening. He's proclaiming that God's rule over people's hearts is here and now because of what he is about to do. No longer does this relationship with God have to do with outward sacrifices. It is now about what Jesus is about to do. He's proclaiming that he is here to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins that we suffer from in the past, our current sins that we are complicit in right now and our future sins that we will commit okay we've hit one of these words that i think we need to define the word sin you guys have heard rob talk about this but again maybe there's somebody new here this morning and hadn't heard that the word sin archery term when you pull back the bow and you shoot you have the bullseye you're trying to hit, and every degree off from where you were aiming for in the middle to where you actually hit is sin, okay? That's the, that's the amount of sin that there is. That's why we use this term to say we're aiming for something, but we miss. So what is our target? What is our bullseye that we're shooting toward? The holiness of God. Say it again. The holiness of God, his perfection. Sorry. His perfection? So that's what we're shooting for. It's impossible. Yes. Yes, it is. It's impossible. Um, it's kind of like trying to follow up and be the Small forward for the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan leaves. Impossible. It's like trying to be the best guitarist from the state of Texas after Stevie Ray Vaughan dies. It's like trying to write the best breakup song or revenge song after hearing Taylor Swift's album. It's impossible. These things cannot be done. You cannot hit the mark of the holiness of God. Jesus knew that. That's why he's talking about the gospel, and he's using this term, the gospel, and he's saying this is the thing that's coming. So let me describe what I mean by the gospel, okay? If you would, go to slide nine, please. When I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about four things, created, fallen, redeemed, and restored. The gospel message, the good news message, is that we were created by God in his image. As humans, we bear the mark of God. Okay? We were created in his image. Nothing else carries this. Scripture says that we do. Why? Because we were created to know him, to know God, and to make him known. So, to know him, and then as we know him, we can't do anything but make him known because we delight in him. He is so good that in that relationship, it shines out. We're created to do this, to have this relationship. Problem is, we weren't satisfied with that. We chose like Adam and Eve, to believe that there was another way that was better than what God promised us in that relationship to know and be known by him. And we went looking for other ways to make ourselves better that put us in control, that allowed us to be the ones to make the decisions, that allowed us to be the ones that set the agendas, Every one of these ways, when we left that relationship with God, created that sin, that separation away from where we were, which was, yes, in that holiness of God, but in perfect relationship with Him. And as we pursue these other things, whatever they may be, if I can get enough money, I'm good. If I can get better relationships, I'm good. If I can get enough likes on Facebook, likes on Facebook, I'm good, okay? I do this <laughs> all the time. If I could just have the right ministry, if we could just get something that people would look at and go, wow, look what you guys are doing, instead of knowing God and being known by him. Problem with the fallen part of this is as we leave that relationship and break that relationship with him, death comes with it. We can't undo that ourselves. No amount of sacrifice is enough to ever restore that relationship back with him. If you guys would leave that up for me so that we can see this. Thanks, guys which brings us to this redeemed this need of redemption that happens when Jesus while we were still sinners came to become sin to bring us back in that relationship with him for those that would see and respond to what he has done in his grace and in his mercy. And because of the work of the cross, he redeems us and puts us back into relationship with God and not just redeems us, but restores us as well in that relationship so that we can know, be known by God and shine his goodness, his grace, his mercy wherever we may go. This is what we mean when we talk about the gospel, that being gospel-centered is about these four things. Being gospel-focused is that we are looking at these four things and that these four things are central to how we make decisions. Where we go, what we do, what we spend our money on, whatever those things are. When we say gospel-focused and we use that as an adjective in some way, This is what we're talking about. This is the good news. Side note, if you've ever wondered why Christians can be so obnoxious about constantly wanting to tell you about the gospel, it's because it's great news. It's like we can't keep that from happening. When uh, the iPhones first came out and, and I got one, as I'm driving back from the Apple store after bu- buying the iPhone, and I don't talk on the phone, I called four people and texted six other people to let them know I got the iPhone. It was really good news to me. How Much better news is this, the gospel, that redemption that comes because of what Jesus has done. So when he says that the time has come, And he says that the kingdom of God is at hand. This is what he's talking about. These are the foundational pieces to the prescriptive parts of what we are to do in response that's coming up next, okay? So we've got the descriptive. Let's look at what he says in the prescriptive. He says one word, repent. I don't know if, That's the way you hear it. But that's often the way I hear it. Repent! I want to reframe that. Because most of you may hear that this morning and you're like, nah, that's not for me, dog. No thanks. You may be hearing that and going, "Uh, yeah, there's nothing that brings me to want that to happen. This prescriptive action that Jesus gives, let's just reframe it for a second. I want to change it. I just want to reframe it. Uh, Last year, about this time, I was having some serious pain in my right side. Wasn't anything new. It had been happening three, four years. It just kept increasingly getting worse and worse as it went along to the point that I'm like doubled over in my kitchen, getting something, and my wife looks at me and goes, you are going to get this taken care of, and if you don't, I'm going to hit you with something hard, (laughs) Okay, she didn't actually say that, but the look said that, okay? It's like, it's time to get this dealt with. And so I've been carrying this pain around for like four years, and I didn't know what it was, and I thought, oh, I'll switch this, I'll drink more water, I'll, I don't know, anything, hoping it would go away, never went away. And so what she tells me is, you're going to the doctor, you're going to tell them everything that is happening in your body, where the pain is. You're going to let them poke around whatever they need to do to get this fixed. So I go to my doctor, and I do what she says, and I lay out. It hurts right here, and it's been hurting for about four years, and I don't know what's going on. And he reaches over, and he kind of pushes on the side here, and I go, <laughs> I made that sound, okay? And he goes, four years? You've been dealing with this for four years? He goes, I barely touched it. I go, you're very strong, so <laughs> take it easy. He goes, I'm not that strong, and you got something serious going on here. He goes, we need to have it looked at. I'm going to send you somebody else. I was like, i got to go do this again. i got to go tell him, and he's going to touch me, and I'm going to go, ah. He goes, yep. And so that's what we did. week later, same thing, touches me. Ah. I got a gallbladder issue. So bad they had to take it out, Okay. So I had to go through surgery to get my gallbladder taken out. In the same way, repentance is recognizing and identifying there's something wrong. Something's not right. There's death in here somewhere. And then addressing it as well. If I would have just identified, yeah, this pain, whoo, hoping it goes away, which is kind of what I was doing because I couldn't hide it anymore. But then I had to address it, show up at the doctor's office, and to tell him everything about it, and then follow what he gave me in order to deal with the gallbladder issue. This is picture of repentance I want us to see this morning God is the good God that wants to hear because he knows just like my doctor knew he goes the minute you walked in the way you were walking I knew you had, had a gallbladder issue or you had an alien growing inside of you and I was like it's the gallbladder thing and that was the truth when we come to God in repentance it's saying these things and agreeing with the the doctor, agreeing with Jesus, agreeing with God, I'm a mess. I'm not capable of healing myself. I'm not capable of saving myself from this issue. I'm outwardly repenting, addressing, identifying this issue and submitting myself to you to heal me, to change me, to do what you want with me because I trust and love you. I did tell my doctor I trusted and loved him too. I trust and love Jesus more, obviously. Is this weird to think about as Christians? Because I think too often we think that that whole idea of confession, that whole idea of repentance happens when we become a Christian and everything is good. I don't know that anybody would say, again, outwardly, yeah, I don't need to repent and confess anymore, but I do think that too often we live as if that's practically true. So let's look at some scriptures. Slide 11, gentlemen. In Colossians, we see the author write this Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 2 6. He's writing to redeemed people, and he says, As you've received Christ, how did you receive Christ? By grace through faith? That's how you continue to live in him. By grace, through faith, I repent that these things are happening. I'm continually agreeing that you are God, I am not. That is the relationship that we have with Jesus. We walk in him, we're rooted in him. We see this again when Paul goes to Rome as he's wanting to go there. In in Rome 115, he's heading to Rome And he says, I look forward to doing something. What do I want to do? I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Why is this important? These are people of the church. These are believers. He says, when I get there, let's go play nine holes of golf. Let's go listen to the latest Newsboys album. No, no. He says, I want to preach the gospel to you. I want to preach the gospel to you. These are already redeemed people. Yeah, we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again. We need to be reminded he is the hero, we are not. Even pastors, even ministers, even church people that have been part of a church for 40, 50, 60 years. We do. We need to hear and continually be reminded, here's where I fall short, here's where I'm in need of the grace of Jesus. So, when we believe in the gospel, which is the last thing that is prescriptive that he gives us. It is this repentance in action. It is the identification of the issue, the addressing of the issue, and then the following of what God leads us to do with that issue. So, Part of what happened with me as I'm preparing this sermon is that there are some things that God begins to reveal to me that I need to address. So he identifies some things in my life that I need to address. And what this meant for me was that I needed to write a letter to a person, a person in my life that... Relationships, pretty rough right now. And I needed to be able to say some things and then get them out because I'd been running from them. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to be reminded of it. And in the middle of studying for this, God does this thing where he shows me, yeah, good luck trying to preach this one without actually doing it. So, I have to sit down and write this letter. And I did. And it was hard, and it's not nice. And I hope no one ever sees it, because I would not only be fired from here and never get to do this again, I'd be fired from whatever future job I may have, too. It's that rough and that honest, because there's that much hurt there. It was the first step of addressing the issue so that Jesus can begin to take steps to heal me in this situation, okay? It's not fully done by any means. In fact, literally, um, I just sense Jesus say, get through the sermon, we'll take the next step after that. I hope that's what he says. I hope that wasn't me saying, I just don't wanna deal with this anymore. I I got too much, I'm gonna deal with the sermon. So we'll see, Okay. But when we wrestle with the gospel, which is what the title of the sermon is, when we wrestle with the gospel and we believe that this is true, then we have to identify what the issues are, we have to address them, and then believing in the gospel is doing the steps that God leads us to, whatever they may be, to move toward healing. To move toward that relationship with him, being more intimate, being more known, and knowing him more. You see, too often we are like fans of the gospel. I'm a huge fan of college football. Oklahoma is my favorite team. I could tell you all kinds of details about the history. Uh, I would probably make a pretty good sports talk guy because we could talk about all kinds of good, bad, and the ugly of all kinds of things. And yet, I have never worked out for this team. I've never gone through one training session. I've never put on a jersey or a helmet. I don't know any of the play calls. If I showed up at the facility right now, they would not let me in. But yet, I can tell you all kinds of things about it. And too often, I think what the church does, especially the American church, and I say this because I'm part of the American church, is we have a lot of fans and not a lot of players. Fans get upset when things don't go right, right? We get upset. Players don't get as upset, at least outwardly. They may in private, but a lot of times they're keeping their cool, they gotta, you know, whatever. But fans are short for fanatic, which simply means we have an unclear understanding of everything that's going on, I think, at times. And here's the thing. This gospel invitation is to believe To take the jersey to be part of the action of the gospel. To move forward in the action of the gospel. To apply the gospel to your life. You see, it's more than just giving the gospel so that those that aren't saved can be saved. That is a huge part of it. And if you're here this morning and you heard Those four things of the gospel, and this sounds good to you, this is a great morning to come and hear more about that and give your life to Jesus. But it doesn't end there with the gospel and when we just get to slap it as an adjective onto things. We continue to live in the gospel. So what is our invitation this morning to believe In the gospel, I think it is a couple of things. And I'm gonna ask you to be a part of this in just a second in a way that you may think is kind of weird, and that's okay. When we believe in the gospel, it means that we are looking at our life and asking God, where are the areas that your gospel needs to be and needs to take an active role? What I want to ask you to do here in just a second is to simply bow your head and pray with me. Man, I hope God gave this to me. I think he gave a set of questions that as you pray, I'm just going to ask. And we're going to see what the Spirit of God does with it. And as I ask them if the Spirit leads you or... You sense, yeah, that, that's something there. And you're going to have an opportunity at the end of the service to come pray about it, confess it, repent of it, and begin to have the grace of the gospel ministered to you. Someone could be praying with you or the Spirit will do that as well. It can happen in your seat. There's nothing magical here. I don't think they have any you know, magic stuff going on here. It's it's just an altar. But there is something to that step of identifying and addressing these things in our life. So if you would would you guys bow your heads with me. Just in a prayerful heart hear these questions that I believe God has given me to pray about, to consider. And in your heart, would you just say, are these true, Jesus? Do I need to deal with these things, Jesus? I'm going to begin personally in this area. What are areas that you need to apply the gospel to? Are you having a hard time moving on from a situation or still not forgiving yourself because of of a mistake, a missed opportunity, or a hurt that you have caused? Are you hurt by someone else and what they have done to you? Have you begun to ask God to walk through that hurt and allow you to see these situations in light of his grace? I'm gonna talk to families for just a second and ask these questions. Dads, how would your wife answer if you asked her if you were loving her as Christ loved the church? Are you reflecting the gentleness and goodness of our Heavenly Father to your children? Moms, are you feeling that it is your job to fix everything and everyone? Have you practically moved God off of his throne and begun to do his job for him? sons and daughters are there steps in your faith that need to be taken do you need to communicate the love and appreciation that you have for your parents in an outward verbal way are you wishing away this time of life so that you can quickly get to another time of life when you have more control and are in charge church community. Are we a community of faith that marginalizes certain people that come into our church because of our preferences? Do people who are single or of color or not native English speakers have a different experience at Northwest Baptist than those of us who experience Northwest Baptist with our families? Why is that the case? Do the songs we sing or the places we sit or the ways in which we communicate keep certain people from entering more fully into this precious community of faith? Are we truly salt and light to Oklahoma City and not just on our special weeks of Champs Camp or Mission OKC? If this church ceased to exist, Would this community be thankful that a piece of land will no longer, will will now be available to get tax revenue from? Or would they grieve the ways in which the community will have to replace the areas that the church was minding the gap by meeting the needs of those who needed it? American church, have we communicated that fitting into culture is more important than what we know to be true as we have pulled our punches on areas of truth when it comes to dealing with sin and its effects on our communities? Have we tied the gospel to ideologies, political positions, or philosophies that cheapen or negate the effects of the gospel? Is the culture and routine of the church higher priority than connection and relationship with God himself? Has being right replaced accepting the righteousness that God gives us by grace? Have we allowed moral outrage to be the engine that moves and motivates us and not the love of and for God and our neighbor? As you continue to pray, hear this, that the work of the gospel, the redeemed and the restored parts, allow us to not have to be defensive about answering these questions. In fact, in, in Romans twelve three, it says this, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're encouraged to ask difficult questions like this and to think with sober judgment of the gospel. This is wrestling with the gospel. Whatever the situation is, Jesus will redeem it. If this morning you're that dad that recognizes I've been harsh with my kids, repentance will allow truth to come and to see that belief that Jesus began a work in you and will see your need of repentance and he'll complete that good work in you by giving you grace, patience, mercy, love for you and your family. If you're this morning and and we recognize that as a church we do marginalize people, we repent and we believe that Jesus drew us to recognize this need and he'll give us the grace, wisdom, hope and love to all and for all that he brings us. If you're here and you're recognizing that I have this desire to be in control and want to be in control of every part of my life and that I freak out when I'm not in control of it, repent this morning and believe that Jesus is fully in control and gives grace, peace, joy, patience, and understanding in every minute of our life, even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Now it's our time to respond. If you need to come this morning and pray with someone, there'll be people up front that will pray with you. If you need to come pray by yourself and whatever capacity, that's great, too. If you need to go to someone in this congregation and pray, feel free to do that. Let us pray. Jesus, may your spirit this morning identify and address the areas that your gospel wants to heal. Redeem and restore in us. May those spirits of guilt and shame be destroyed this morning. As we know that your love conquers all, your grace is sufficient in all things.